Hello, and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 151. I am your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Michaud. My body is always ready. <laughs> and we are back once again to talk about what's going on in the world of Nintendo. So we have some game impressions to deliver, some news to discuss, and then we are going to have our big topic for the week, which is the strange sequels of 1988, the 30-year anniversary of these strange sequels. But we will get to that in a little bit. First, we're going to start things off with some game impressions, specifically a title that came out last Friday, or actually maybe coming out this Friday if you uh, didn't own the original game. I'm talking about Xenoblade Chronicles 2 Torna the Golden Country, which is either a standalone game or it's DLC if you bought the season pass. So either way you look at it, it is an RPG sequel spinoff to Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and it is available right about now. Now, this one's got to be near and dear to your heart, right, Chris? Well, indeed it is. I enjoyed Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and all the other Xenoblade Chronicles titles immensely. And even though I had some issues with them, yeah, this was certainly one I was looking forward to. And what do you think? Well, I'm definitely liking it. This game is a full-on prequel to Xenoblade Chronicles 2, featuring events from the past that were often referenced in the main game, and it does tell an interesting story, and it's fun to see some of these characters returning in new ways. Like, you keep hearing about this legendary warrior, Adam, in the main game, and now you actually get to meet him and see him and discover he's actually kind of a goof. <laughs> Plus, one of the bad guys you encounter in the main game is the Blade Jin. And now, in this game, in Torn of the Golden Country, he's actually a good guy. You meet him as a hero. And you also meet other characters that show up in both games. <laughs> but probably the main reason that I'm liking this is that they actually have simplified some of the systems from Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Yeah. And you know, if I had one criticism about that game, it was that it tried to do too much. And this game is just a little bit streamlined, and I think that actually makes it better. Like, you no longer have random blades to acquire. So the blades that the characters have are predetermined, which means you no longer need to use these randomly acquired skills to access certain areas or to find concealed items. Also, you no longer have to worry about these uh, extraneous fourth attack arts that your characters had, but you couldn't use because in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, you had four arts. You could only ever use three of them in battle. So there was a fourth one that was there, but it was kind of there for no reason. You kind of just had to pick your three favorites and either swap them out or just you know level up the ones you cared about and ignore the other one. But in this game, they don't do that. They just give three to each character, which makes way more sense. <laughs> yeah, totally. So yeah, that's no longer an issue. Also... You know, while they've streamlined some things, they've actually added some aspects. Like, now you actually control both the blades and the drivers in battle. So, you, like, swap back and forth between your main character and your blade characters, and that opens up new combo possibilities, and it just lets you control, you know, basically more characters during a fight all at once. So, there's arguably perhaps more depth to the combat this time, despite it being, you know, more simplified in some ways so that's definitely good in my opinion now these changes are do they affect the entire game if you like replayed it or do you only get to use these in a new area i'm sorry i don't know how that works well this is a brand new story it is essentially standalone if you don't have the original xenoblade chronicles 2 you can just go pick this up as a physical release on this friday and play it totally separately from the main gotcha. game so no nothing you do in this game affects the main game and like i said some of the characters are similar and some of the areas you visit are the same like i've been to the land of gormot which is in the first game and it's still fun to explore and it's still pretty big but not nearly as big as it was 
in the main game. Hmm. There's also this brand new continent called Torna, where I spent most of my time, and it's just fun, like it was in the main game, to explore all these areas, battle the enemies, take in the views, discover natural resources, all that good stuff. I guess, from what I've played so far, the areas are somewhat smaller, but they're also different and fresh, so it's still a joy to wander around the world of Allrest. Uh, there are also some other refinements, like there's this new system involving NPCs and side quests, and it really helps you keep track of all the characters in the game a lot more than anything that was in the main Xenoblade Chronicles 2 game. If I do have a criticism so far, it's that there's not a whole lot going on in the story department. Things are just kind of happening, and it kind of seems like you're sort of along for the ride. Let's see what happens. But I'm not that far into it yet. I put in maybe 12 hours so far, and I'm definitely enjoying it, but it does seem, you know, sort of less epic than the main Xenoblade Chronicles 2 story. Yeah, I could see that. So what do you think? Do you recommend this? Or uh, if somebody hadn't played this game at all, do you recommend picking this up as well? You know, if you're an RPG fan, I think definitely. It totally works, I think, as a standalone game. Obviously, there's more meaning to it if you have played Xenoblade Chronicles 2, but I really like what they've done here. As I keep saying, it felt like there were just some things in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 that were kind of sloppy, kind of needed more work, and this game has taken almost a full year to actually come out following the release of the original Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and those refinements actually have been implemented, and it adds up to a much smoother, arguably more enjoyable in some ways experience. It's just really nice that they have new twists to the combat, new twists to the characters, new twists to the familiar gameplay. I'm not really sure how long of an adventure this is and how many more areas there are to discover. If it ends up being shorter than I expect, then I could maybe end up being let down a little bit. But so far, I am having a blast, and I think both newcomers and Xenoblade Chronicles veterans will enjoy this. So, so far, I would give it an enthusiastic thumbs up. All right. Sounds good. Moving along then, another game I've been playing on Switch is, unsurprisingly, Capcom Beat-Em-Up Bundle. <laughs> oh man, this one looks amazing. <laughs> well, this one is absolutely up my alley. This is, as we talked about last week, seven classic arcade beat-em-ups, all available in one package for $20, and that includes one of my all-time favorites, Final Fight. Yeah, the whole thing about this game is pretty awesome head to toe. Yeah, there's a lot of good content in here if you enjoyed arcade-style beat-em-ups from the 90s. <laughs> and who doesn't, really? I certainly do. If I may, just talk about Final Fight for a second here, why I'm always <laughs> talking up this game, why I think it's so great. For me, it just hit all the right buttons. You know, Aside from the excellent music and graphics and animation, I feel like it just has the perfect amount of variety, not only in the characters, but also the levels, the enemies and the movesets, and they just have lots of little details all over the place, not just, you know, things in the background, like when you're in this uh, factory level, just seeing the, the molten metal bubbling and things like that, but, you know, they have these enemies, and usually in games like this, they just have palette-swapped enemies, but in Final Fight, they gave them 
actually new faces and other graphical details. So they recycle 90% of the sprite, but they also change 10%. So it actually feels like a totally different character. Mm. They also have all these names for the enemies. So they actually feel like they have some personality, not just, you know, mindless bad guys to get punched <laughs> out. And it's especially cool when their names are like J, which is just, you know, the letter J and Doug, which is spelled D-U-G without the O. <laughs> so it's funny and entertaining in addition to just sort of fleshing out the game world. Another thing I love about is the way that you can combo from your punches into throws. I mean, I think that's just genius. And once you figure that out, it's a great way to, you know, attack enemies both in front of you and behind you. And of course, who does not love a good pile driver on the concrete? You know, Mike Hager <laughs> can grab him, jump into the air and crush them with his pile driver, which is always fun. I don't like being on the receiving end of that. Uh, you, no, you probably wouldn't. But yeah, that, all that combination of stuff really helps ward off some of the repetition that's inherent to the genre. And the way that you and the enemies move and react and get stunned by hits is just spot on and just feels right. <laughs> and the difficulty is pretty reasonable, too. And so all of that is coming to the Switch. Uh, I mean, basically, this is for the first time that the arcade version of the game has been available on Nintendo systems. So for me, it's like this has been a long time coming. Yeah, it's pretty cool of them to just kind of identify that this was a thing that they could do and, and put out on the Switch, and, and they're only charging $20 for it. Yeah, yeah, obviously it's something I am very happy about. You know, the Super Nintendo version of Final Fight was only one player. It cut out a lot of content. The GBA version of Final Fight 1 was really good, but, you know, the problem with that was if you wanted to play co-op, you, know, you needed two copies of the game, and I believe, even though it's on Wii U, there probably is no way to do co-op in that game i don't think there's any way to do like you know wireless play with two wii u's or something like that mm. so yeah this is the best way absolutely to play this game on nintendo systems for sure so i feel like i do have to pick this one up and maybe play with you online <laughs> perhaps perhaps yes but i am curious if any of the listeners out there would want to watch us play <laughs> well, you actually can watch people play in a spectator mode, but that can be a little problematic. So uh, I'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah, let me run down the other games included in the collection, you know, just in case anyone is curious. I mean, heck, I'm curious. Those other six games are King of Dragons, which is a myths and monsters kind of fantasy. It really doesn't feel that much like a beat-em-up since your attacks are sort of ranged. Even the characters are supposed to be melee-based. Their attacks hit several pixels away from the enemy, so it really feels different from other games in this collection. Plus, it features some RPG-style leveling up, not that you'd really notice it affecting gameplay that much. Then there's Knights of the Round, which is a more typical hack-and-slash fantasy game for up to three players, which is very roughly based on the King Arthur legend. You know, it's more knights than dragons, and it can be fun, but there aren't any throw moves, which I think detracts from your combat options a little bit. Then there's Captain Commando, which is just bonkers. It features these crazy character designs and settings that are often in theme parks, like there's an aquarium and a circus <laughs> and a museum for some reason that you fight in. And it does have cool moves, and it's up to four players. And uh, one of the characters uh, named Babyhead, who was a little baby controlling a mech suit, oh. can also do a pile driver. Nice. So I think that gives you a good idea of just how insane this game is. <laughs> and Captain Commando, isn't he the one in the trailer for this game? Yes, yes he is. That is Captain Commando. You are correct. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, the other three games in the collection are actually titles I had never played before because I had never seen them in arcades and they never received home ports in North America. But they all seem pretty fun. There's Warriors of Fate, which is a medieval Japanese beat-em-up, sort of like Dynasty Warriors mixed with a beat-em-up with 2D graphics. You can ride on horses in the game. 
There's Armored Warriors, which is a mech battle beat-em-up, and it feels a lot different from the other games in this collection because the mechs are so fast and they have these limited-use ranged weapons that you have in addition to uh, punching and jumping. But what's really cool is that as you destroy enemies, you can pick up their parts, which give you new moves. So you can get, like, this massive claw arm that lets you grab enemies and shake them around and throw them across the screen, or you can trade in your mech legs for tank treads, which also gives you different moves. So there's a lot of cool variety in this game. I'm looking forward to playing that one a lot more. And then finally, there is Battle Circuit, which kind of feels like an upgraded Captain Commando with similar over-the-top style and crazy designs and goofy enemies, and it almost feels like you're a bounty hunter in a game show combined with a beat-em-up sort of thing. It's really weird. You can buy upgrades and get these fighting game-style special moves, and uh, I'm also looking forward to playing a lot more of that one as well. Nice. So yeah, there's a great amount of variety in these games, you know, as far as beat-em-ups go. There are also a lot of good options. You can play the U.S. versions or the Japanese versions. You can adjust the difficulty, and there's a gallery mode chock full of artwork. I actually learned that the Japanese version of Final Fight takes place in 1989, which I never knew. The U.S. version says it takes place sometime in the 1990s, so there are (laughs) definite differences between the U.S. and Japanese ones that I'm only now learning about. Uh, Strangely, there are no screen options. You can't adjust the picture size or use filters, as far as I can tell. However, it does default to a 4x3 aspect ratio with full screen height, and it is pixel perfect, which is what I want, so that doesn't bother me, but... You know, if you are a player that wants scan lines or smoothing or something, as far as I can tell, you are out of luck. Mm -hmm. My other warning is that online has been a very mixed bag so far. I played a few games of Captain Commando in four-player mode and Knights of the Round in three-player mode, and it was an atrocity. It was so laggy. Like, (laughs) it was running at less than one frame per second. Uh I don't know how we played through a couple levels that way, but we did, and it was not really fun. However, (laughs) then after that, I played a two-player game of Captain Commando, and it was fine. And then I played Final Fight two-player with a friend who lives geographically pretty close by, and that worked almost perfectly. However, there's no way to create a friends-only lobby or friends-only matches or a private room, as far as I can tell. Like, at one point, I tried to start a two-player game of Final Fight with this friend, and some other random person just joined in. (laughs) I'm like, no, and I just backed out, had to start a new room, and started playing with my friend. However, as I alluded to earlier, there actually is the option to join in as a spectator. And so we were playing, and someone with a really bad connection joined in as a spectator, and it killed our connection and ended our game. (laughs) So I really wish that Capcom would put in the option to be able to have private rooms and friends-only gameplay because having random people come in and ruin your game is not fun. Now, can anyone randomly run into your room and delete your save data? Uh, Not as far as I know, but I'll keep my eye open for that one. (laughs) Anyway, I really hope Capcom can do something about the online for this game because that functionality aside, this is pretty much an arcade fan's dream come true. So, um, yeah, it's pretty great if you're into that kind of thing. Sweet. And I am. Okay. Well, I look forward to uh, polyarming people with you online then. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have to do that. And maybe we'll record a video of it and put it on YouTube. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see what we can do. Okay, then. Let us move along from the game impressions and talk about some news. And when it comes to news, probably the biggest thing this week is that Nintendo Switch Online is active now. Pete, I know that you signed up for this pretty much as soon as it went live. I did as well. What do you think so far? (laughs) 
Well, I mean, to be quite honest, you don't really notice all that much beside the, you know, the ability to play your, uh, your NES games. Well, that's probably the biggest thing. I mean, obviously, if you want to play older games that you've already been doing online with, such as Splatoon or Mario Kart, yes, suddenly you don't have the option anymore. If you try to play those online, you get a message saying, hey, you need to switch online. It takes you to the eShop and it makes you sign up for that. But yeah, you bring up a good point about these NES games. For me, you know, that's pretty much worth the price of admission right there. And I don't think we really talked about it enough last week how excited we both are that pro wrestling is back. Uh, yeah, it's unbelievable. And, and honestly, I was thinking about it. Like, I would almost just pay 20 bucks to be able to play pro wrestling. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And uh, as I pointed out on Twitter, it turned out that yesterday, the day that Nintendo Switch Online launched, was actually the date they have said is Fighter Hayabusa's birthday. So that was, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's a coincidence or not. I think it was a long-term plan on Nintendo's part. I think they've been planning this out for like 30 years to be like, yes, we have to bring this out on Fighter Hayabusa's birthday. No, last year wasn't good enough. No, okay, this year we can finally put it on Fighter Hayabusa's birthday. And that's why it's finally out now, after all this time. Uh, you are the only man on the planet that would notice that. <laughs> but yeah, it's great to have all those characters back with their unique moves and being able to jump off the top rope and throw guys out of the ring and you know, get them counted out out there by staying out too long. So, yeah, lots of good stuff with that title. And, of course, great having the other 19 titles as well. Yeah, honestly, the collection is great. I mean, just the fact that uh, there's that many games available at launch is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, we've been wanting to have Virtual Console back on Switch, and this isn't quite the same thing, but it's just about good enough, you know? Yeah, in some ways, you know, it's, there's pros and cons. In some ways, it's good. some ways, it's bad. Right, I mean... The bad, obviously, is, you know, if you decide to not have the service any longer, they all go away. That kind of sucks. But, you know, as far as a value proposition goes, you get a lot of stuff for the money. You know, in some ways, you know, it's like you paid $5 for an NES game on the Wii U. Right. So it's like mm -hmm. you're paying four times that and you get access to 20 and more as the year goes on. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, what do you think about the interface for the NES games? I personally liked it a lot. I think it's very nice to have the game boxes in there as the icons instead of just the title screens. I love the fact that you can move them around, make them big, make them small. I thought it was a pretty neat way to do it. Yeah, I did like it. Um, it almost reminds me, I mean, I keep hearing this, but it's the closest to like video game Netflix that I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, you could call it uh, Nestflix, right? <laughs> I see what you did there. You know, the only sad thing is besides the box art, there's really not that much, right? Like you can't look at your instruction manual and you can't look at the back of the box and you can't look at screenshots really. Well, you can call up the game info. I think if you hit the Y button while you're on each icon, you can see a little description. It's not the back of the box and there aren't any screenshots like you said, but it's certainly you know better than nothing. Totally. It just, you know, just is missing sort of that same charm as the box. But just the fact that they got the actual boxes in there is actually pretty special. Yeah, but you're right. They really should put in the manuals because there's a lot of stuff that is not self-explanatory in those games. That's for sure. Well, plus the manuals are just so awesome. But I can also understand why they wouldn't. <laughs> there's things like... Yeah, I can't take up that much space. Well, huh? I, I'm talking more about the language they use. Like, you know, Mario kills Goombas by jumping on their head. <laughs> yeah, there is some pretty strange stuff in those old manuals. That's true. <laughs> yeah. But aside from the selection, you know, what about... You know, actually playing stuff online with Nintendo Switch Online. Uh, how is that working out for you? Because for me, you know, I tried playing it last night, and I had some pretty major issues. In fact, we tried playing it just before we recorded the podcast. We had some issues then. But, geez, I mean, it was just so laggy. I tried playing some pro wrestling, some Dr. Mario, some River City Ransom, some Mario Brothers, 
and all of them were super laggy. It made some of the games literally unplayable in online mode at times. Yeah. And we even tried a spectator game where my friend was playing Super Mario Brothers in single player, and I was watching. <laughs> and even though he was the one that started the session, he was having incredible lag playing Super Mario Brothers, and so he was just, like, dying in all these stupid ways. He got killed by the first Goomba. He was falling <laughs> in pits. And all I could do was, like, move my little cursor around and clap every time he died. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, so far, every session I've had has been pretty darn laggy. Yeah, I mean, we played uh, pro wrestling for a minute, of course. Mm -hmm. And there was definitely some moments where, I mean, the, the screen literally just stops and you're not really sure what's going on. And then all of a sudden when it refreshes, you're across the screen and, you know, in the <laughs> middle of a jump or some, some move you performed you didn't really know you were going to be performing. You know, so obviously it's definitely a work in progress. I do wonder how much... But it really shouldn't be. I mean, games like this, they're throwing around so little data. This should be a cakewalk. I mean, yeah. if it can do stuff like Mario Kart and Splatoon, and heck, even this Capcom collection, which it had trouble with, but the fact that Nintendo Switch Online with these NES games seems to be consistently worse is just crazy. There can't be that many people who subscribe and are playing all at once. It's just nuts. Yeah, it's true. I mean, all I'm saying is maybe give it outside of this week and just give it a try. I am kind of curious to see if it works better. I heard that, you know, we did, we, I think we played, um, we played Mario Brothers, uh, the original, the one where you get to play right. two player at the same time. And um, we were actually having pretty good luck with that. Like I, Yeah, that one didn't seem like there was any lag. I guess, you know, whatever the kinks were seemed to have worked out for, you know, the few minutes we were playing that. And that actually was really fun. So this obviously does have huge potential. But the fact that so far that's been the exception rather than the rule has been a bit disappointing for sure. Yeah, and then do you want to talk about that pass the controller mode at all? I guess. <laughs> you know, that was something that we were trying to do last night and we couldn't figure out how. And uh, But then you and me finally did figure it out. So if anyone else is having trouble figuring out how to use this feature, it's that the person who started the session has to call up the menu with ZL and ZR, and then you can press the Y button to switch the controllers between player one and player two. It is not very well explained anywhere as far as I can tell. <laughs> and uh, you know, if you're the second player, there's no way you can even see that function. You also can't see it unless you are online. So if you're like me and we're a little bit fuddled by that, there you go, now you know. And knowing is half the battle. Yeah, and it's kind of funny that once you pass control to another player, you can just take the control back at any time. Yes, the person who started the session is still in control, so I can give it to you, Pete, and then I can be like, oh, no, three seconds later, I want it back. I just take it back. <laughs> Here, let me finish this level for you. So it's perfect for a nemesis. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it really is. But all things considered, like you said, the experience is there. Like, if, if this is working flawlessly, it'd be great. There still is a lot of room for improvement in that front, and it's total mixed bag. So, like, your mileage may vary. You're going to have to figure out if it works for you. Uh, yes, yes, very much so. Also, of course, we did use the app for chatting while we were playing this game, and I guess it's fine. <laughs> I mean, it did drop the connection once, and also when I was playing last night with a different friend, it dropped the connection once. But, you know, I guess it does the job. I think maybe I just dropped you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I mean, the thing is, you know, if it's a real-life friend you're playing NES games with, then it's I might as well just make a phone call in case we're like, okay, we're going to quit this game and play another game. <laughs> you know, that's what happened to me last night. We're like, okay, well, now we're going to play the Capcom Beat'em Up collection. Okay, let's just do a regular phone call so it doesn't uh, end when we stop playing <laughs> NES uh, Classic. Yeah, that's kind of weird. And, so, and in the end, it does feel like you're almost just making a phone call. Right, right. And, you know, I guess if you're playing with someone who you're not real-life friends with, I guess that's fine. But 
since most of the people I do play online with, it is that way. I don't know. It seems kind of pointless so far. Yeah, I mean, it just is a bizarre way of handling online, uh, or at least handling voiceover online. Yeah. But at the same time, it seems to work. It does the trick. I do like that there is this sort of like, you know, when you're on the speaker, the other people in the room can kind of like participate in the conversation. Whereas yeah, most heads, I guess that's true. Whereas most headsets for games, you know, you end up just playing and talking to one person in particular or a group of people, but everyone else in the room has no idea who you're talking to. Uh, that's true. Well, I guess if that's a good thing or not, really depends on your point of view, doesn't it? Exactly. <laughs> now, did you look at all about the uh, the cloud save? Have you checked that out? Uh, no, I haven't. I actually thought that that stuff was going to happen automatically. Basically, if you go to your system settings and you scroll down to data management, once you get there, there's a new thing called Save Data Cloud Backup. Oh, okay. And once you select that, it actually wants you to select which account on your switch it's looking through. All right. And then um, you have this option of turning on automatic save data backup. So that just like generically, if you have that on, then any game that can be backed up will. And then it shows you just a list of games that have saved data that can be backed up. Now, there's a lot that can't. You know, mainly like yeah, that's kind of annoying. Like Nintendo said, the very online-focused games, mm-hmm. but a lot of them are able to back up. So, yeah, I mean, again, it's a mixed bag, but it seems to be working properly. And I'm kind of curious to see, you know, if I ever need to use it, if if it actually works. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. But I appreciate you uh, fill me in on how that works because I didn't realize there was anything special I had to do to activate it. So that's definitely good to know. Yeah, I think by default it will turn on and just start doing it, but. Yeah, it's definitely not super obvious where it is and how to find it. Well, it's definitely good to know. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Pete, it sounds like you're a little bit more forgiving of NSO's faults than I am. <laughs> I mean, I'm sort of really disappointed with how the online aspect of these NES games has gone. Uh, our Mario Brothers session aside, everything else has just seemed ridiculously broken. And if that's really what I cared about, I would feel like I'm really getting ripped off. <laughs> On the other hand... You know, I think it is just worth it for the NES games alone, like you were kind of talking about earlier. You get 20 games for 20 bucks for a year, and if that were the only thing I was paying money for, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. Sign me up. I'm totally going to do it. But, you know, why is the online connection, the lag, all that, why is that so bad? It makes no sense to me. Yeah, I mean, for now, the online is definitely a grumble grumble. Yeah. But uh, that being said, the fact that you can play all these games and it's only costing you $20 a year, I'm totally in for that. If they do happen to improve the online, which I assume they I will, they if do. they're collecting, <laughs> collecting money, you know, it's, it's wait and see. And honestly, I'm not going to play a ton of these online, most likely. But I am, as you said, going to play them single player and I will enjoy them. And uh, I look forward to more and maybe even Super Nintendo games coming out at some point down the road. (laughs) That's a total guess. I don't know, man. If they can't even get uh, NES games working online properly, I'm horrified to think of what Super NES games would be like. (laughs) But uh, as far as having them available on the system, yes, that would be great. Well, I'll see you in Mega Man Soccer. (laughs) Well, I do have one other question about this for you. Did you decide to sign up for the NES Joy-Cons? I did. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, I did also. Ah. Yeah, I sort of felt compelled to. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's like, am I really going to use them that much? They're kind of expensive for $60. But then I thought, 
yeah, I better get them just in case. You never know. If I don't get them now, I will probably regret it later. So (laughs) I went ahead and did it. Well, I also noticed when I was playing stuff like pro wrestling, you know, I I forgot this. A lot of NES games required some serious button mashing. Mm -hmm. And then when I had the pro controller and I was playing the computer in pro wrestling, I was just mashing the heck out of my buttons. And I was thinking, I don't want to be like rubbing my knuckles on these buttons. <laughs> Not the way I really get in there with a NES controller. And you know what I'm talking about. You get the, your knuckles on the buttons and you just start giving it a noogie. And you're just trying to get up and you're trying to pin the guy. And so, yeah, I, I figure I'm going to get them. I'm going to use them for, you know, the, the games that need button mashing. And uh, there's really no way to play NES games than with an NES controller. All right, fair enough. Well, unfortunately, we will not be getting them until December. They're supposed to hit around December 7th to 12th or so. So we can look forward to using them then. That's when I can play with power? (laughs) Indeed, exactly. Well, moving along to the next news topic then. We were just talking about classic NES games on Switch. Now we are talking about classic Sega Genesis games on Switch. Mm. Because Sega Genesis Classics is coming this winter. Yeah, this package looks pretty awesome. Yeah, there is a lot of great content in there, and for a while it didn't look like Switch owners were going to get this because it came out on other systems like PlayStation 4 and Xbox, but uh, it did not come out on Switch. But now we are getting it. We're getting it both digitally and physically. It includes 50 games, including Sonic the Hedgehog 1 and 2, Golden Axe 1, 2, and 3, Altered Beast, Revenge of Shinobi, Toe Jam and Earl, Space Harrier 2, Shining Force 1 and 2, Fantasy Star 2, 3, and 4, Gunstar Heroes, Alex Kidd, Streets of Rage 1, 2, and 3. I could go on and on and on, (laughs) but there is lots of great stuff from Sega here. Yeah, there's more games in this collection than you can shake a stick at. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for sure. And on top of having, you know, the original Genesis versions of all these games, you have save states, rewind function, online multiplayer, special challenges. Apparently there's even mirror modes you can play through these games in. Yeah, that's great. And according to the press release, this version also has a new feature. It says you can, quote, compete in same screen local co-op mode, which I don't really understand what that means. How do you compete in local co-op? I'm not <laughs> sure. I guess... Maybe this just means that the previous versions didn't have local couch multiplayer, and this one does, where you just you know each grab a Joy-Con and play. Um, and if so, you know, that's definitely a good inclusion for this version of the game. Yeah, I, I believe I read that somewhere, that that is a feature that's new to this one. Okay, yeah, I never guess uh, realized it was missing in the other ones. So yeah, good to have that here. Any games in particular on this collection that you're looking forward to? Well... I'm very familiar with a lot of these games. Golden Axe is one of my all-time favorites. Revenge of Shinobi is one of my all-time favorites. So I would say that those two are at the top of the list. But pretty much everything that I was talking about earlier, uh, with the exception of Alex Kidd, is a fantastic game. So, <laughs> yeah, lots of great stuff here. How about you? For me, i got to say uh, Toe Jam and Earl. Ah, nice. As well as, I, I, you know, I always wanted to play Comic Zone, but I never really did. Mm. <laughs> I just remember playing the Toys R Us demo and thinking it looked cool. I know it's probably not that great of a game, but, you know. <laughs> you weren't really missing out. Just It's nice to be able to go back in time and play those games you missed. Yeah, and when you can get all these games, you know, 50 games for 30 bucks, you know, how can you go wrong? You really can't. You really can't. I have to say, you know, it is a little surprising that we're going to be getting this since those Sega Ages titles are coming out on Switch separately and supposedly are going to be hitting any day now. But, uh, hey, I'm not going to complain. I will definitely take this as well. Me too. Hey, and I've got one other bit of news for you. 
Oh, what's that? Yeah, it looks like on the eShop, the Dark Souls Remastered Network Test version came out. And what that looks like is it's a playable version of the Dark Souls Remastered game that's coming out. Okay. Only you're going to be able to play on the test servers on the weekend of 921 through 923. Oh, so that's just in a couple of days. Yeah, so from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific time. Okay, all right, cool. Well, that was great to know. I was totally unaware of that, but that seems like a great way to uh, try this game out before it uh, hits next month. Yeah, and hopefully the online experience is better than uh, some of the other things we've experienced recently. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But either way, that's definitely good to know. Thanks for uh, filling me in on that one. You got it. All right, then. Let us move along from news and answer a few listener letters. This first one comes from listener Brian Booth, and I really wish I had ran this letter last week when it was more timely, but he writes, Hey guys, great episode as usual. Regarding the games featured in the Switch's NES Online platform, I'm really hoping to see all the great games you mentioned. For multiplayer games, I'd also love to see TMNT 2, the arcade game. For my money, and apologies to Hoff and Double Dragon, the best beat-em-up on the system. And either Super Dodgeball or Super Spike V-Ball. For single-player action, it's hard to beat Kirby's Adventure, and it would be great to see some hidden gems like The Adventures of Lalo, Blaster Master, or Kid Nicky Radical Ninja. But what I'm really eager for is an SNES or, dare I dream, N64 online platform. <laughs> it's hard to beat the 64 for multiplayer greatness, so more than almost any other system, I can't wait to experience that with online play. Yeah, it's like he's reading my mind. <laughs> yeah, that would definitely be great. Yeah, hopefully, eventually they'll do N64 and Super NES games. But, you know, I really got to give Brian props for the NES games he mentioned. Not only did he mention Super Dodgeball and the Adventures of Lalo before those games had been announced, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Super Dodgeball, I think, you know, I would have swapped in with one of my other picks if I had actually thought of it when we did our list two weeks ago. Uh, but TMNT 2 is actually one of my all-time favorite NES games, and... You know, I should probably have made some caveat, like, you know, Double Dragon is the best fisticuffs-based beat-em-up, and TMNT is the best weapons-based beat-em-up or something. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I love that game. I love TMNT 3 as well. And I kind of alluded to, you know, having this uh, list of games that I wasn't really including because they would be stuck in licensing hell and thus not applicable. And that definitely includes TMNT 2, TMNT 3, Battletoads, and Rescue Rangers. Those would all be great to see on uh, NES Online, uh, except that we know we're probably never going to get those, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice work uh, identifying those games. Uh, and they, it is funny, they're already announced in the pipeline. Yep. And it's funny, I actually thought Super Dodgeball was for Super Nintendo, like in the back of my brain, but I know <laughs> that it is an NES game. Indeed it is, and it will be on Switch next month. Yeah. When I realized it, I made the same face as the guy on the cover of that game. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Our next letter comes from listener Jacket K, who writes, Hey, all of you at Power Pros, since you were talking about indie games on the Switch lately, I wanted to share with you guys an underrated indie game I've been playing lately with some unique ideas, engaging gameplay, and from what I've played so far, a simple yet enjoyable story. The game is called Yoku's Island Express, and it's essentially a platform adventure in the gameplay style of games like Shantae and Metroid, where you have an open world you explore, picking up new moves and abilities along the way. The difference is that instead of jumping or shooting, you navigate through this world using pinball mechanics. That's right, pinball. As one who's normally not good at pinball, it's easy to enjoy despite your skill level. But don't take my word for it. There's a demo for Yoku's Island Express on the eShop, and I encourage you all to at least give the demo a try. It's a game that's easier to show rather than tell anyway. Thanks again for the awesome podcast. Nice. This game actually does look pretty fun. I, I might give it a shot. 
Yeah, I did download the demo, and I have heard other people talking about it. I've heard plenty of good things. I believe it actually has gotten a lot of very positive reviews, so I don't think it's quite as obscure and hidden as uh, Jacket K might think it is. But uh, yeah, it does seem to be a pretty cool game, and it totally does seem worth checking out. So uh, I'd say it's a pretty darn good suggestion on his part. Cool. This next letter comes from Listener Sam who uh, has a question directed at me. He says, I seem to recall a photo of you in a Nintendo Power issue. I recall it being a photo of you shirtless, flexing your impressive muscles. Do you still have this photo, and would you be willing to share it with Pete and your listeners? Wow. Uh, so, Hoff, do you have a photo like this? Unfortunately, I think that Sam is thinking of somebody else. I believe that was Chris Shepard who had a photo appear of him in Nintendo Power, flexing his imposing muscles. Oh, that's right. I think I do remember that. Uh, there's a picture of me in the magazine uh, chopping off my finger, but <laughs> nothing involving flexing my muscles. Not to say Chris doesn't have impressive muscles. <laughs> it's just to say it is a case of uh, mistaken identity in this instance. So, uh, sorry about that. Our last letter is another follow-up from our listener, Blake, <laughs> who has one more item to add to the Power Pros milk drinking game, and he says that is any mention that Konami is not really making games anymore. So for those of you keeping track with the Power Pros milk drinking game, there is one more for the rule set. <laughs> wow, Blake's really not letting this go. <laughs> well, we did ask him for updates. It's <laughs> fair. All right, that does it for the letters. Is it time for an intermission now? Uh, not quite. Well, what are we doing instead? <laughs> uh, I think you know. Well, I think you better tell me anyway. Well, it's time to hassle the huff. Okay. I had a feeling that was coming. <laughs> Let's do this thing then. All right. So what's going on this time? This week's Hassle the Huff comes from listener at Mike Opferman on Twitter. Oh, okay. Video game professor Hoffman. Yes. If you can pick one mainline Nintendo character to bring to life, who would it be? But there's a caveat. For one week, they like you. Hmm. And then after that, they hate you for the rest of your life huh. and get to slap you in the face once each day who would it be huh, okay <laughs> you know i have to say that does not really sound like a very good deal yeah i mean i don't think i want to be hated by any character for the rest of my life i'm planning to you know live for quite a few more years now <laughs> and uh, just having a week of uh, you know friendship of this character and then be hated for the rest of my days does not seem very pleasant let alone getting slapped every single day so Hmm. You might want to pick somebody a little frail, you know, because yeah, exactly, you don't want, like, exactly. Bowser slapping you upside the head every day. Yeah, I mean, being friends with him would be fun, but I don't think I want him hitting me every day for all eternity. So, I kind of was thinking maybe Kirby, because Kirby seems <laughs> kind of cuddly and soft, and assuming he didn't, you know, transform himself into, you know, some big massive hammer or something, it would probably be like getting slapped in the face by a marshmallow, maybe. True. So I was thinking Kirby could be a strong contender, but then I was starting to think about Smash Brothers, <laughs> and he can you know do some pretty strong punches even without his transformation powers, so mm. maybe that would be a really terrible idea. <laughs> Alright. So, you know, with him out of the picture, I, I think I'm going to settle on the Goomba. Oh, wait. Not because I want to be French with the Goomba, but I just like the idea of the Goomba not having any arms futilely trying to slap me every day of my life and his life uh, for 
as ever many years as that goes. So yeah, I'm, for that reason, I am picking the Goomba. I'm literally envisioning that, and it's pretty fun. <laughs> I'm not sure it totally fits the criteria of a mainline Nintendo character. He might be you know, a little more of a, a B-lister that doesn't count, but uh, I don't care. I'm going with the Goomba. Yeah, that immediately paints a visual that I can't get out of my head. <laughs> All right, well, uh, happy to help in that regard. Nicely done. Okay, then. Now that that's taken care of, I guess we should take an intermission, and then when we come back, we will be discussing this week's big topic, the strange sequels of 1988. Alright, we are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is the strange sequels of 1988. It is now 30 years since these games have come out, and specifically what we are talking about are three big-name sequels in franchises that were pretty major at the time. We are talking about Super Mario Bros. 2, Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link, and Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest. And the reason we want to talk about these games this week isn't only because it's more or less their 30th anniversary, but also because these were sequels that totally broke the rules when compared to their predecessors. You know, back then, there really were no established formulas or these long-running series that we know now. So these sequels, instead of just duplicating what had come before, they took big risks and made big changes. And the fact that all three of these games came out around the same time and all attempted to do something notably different, I thought was something worth discussing. Yeah, it's really funny that you identified this, but they are. I mean, they're, they're sequel to these huge games that had a ton to live up to. And right, they were big successes. You know, people really enjoyed their predecessors. Yeah, and then they almost just like turn what people expected as a, of a sequel uh, right on its nose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And let me tell you, here's a little secret. This was actually supposed to be a feature that was going to run in Nintendo Power Magazine had we continued into uh, the year 2013. Uh, since we didn't, uh, we didn't have a chance to talk about them on their 25th anniversary. So here we are, all these years later, discussing it instead in podcast form. Wow. Well, I'm happy to be here for it. So the way we should start this out, I think, you know, before we get into the value of these games, is talking about you know what really made them different, what made them stand out from their predecessors. Let's start by talking about Super Mario Brothers Two. <laughs> now, Super Mario Two is kind of the weird one because it's the one that really wasn't a game based on the sequel. It was more Nintendo thinking that the U.S. audience would have a hard time with the more difficult Mario Brothers that they released in Japan, right? Right, right. I mean, according to the rumor, the U.S. saw Super Mario Bros. 2 as it was released in Japan and said, oh, this game is garbage. And so they decided to take a completely different game 
and use that as the basis for Super Mario Brothers 2 by completely changing that game's graphics and other aspects of it. So there's a very good reason why Super Mario Brothers 2 plays nothing like its predecessors or the ones that came after it, and that's because it wasn't really a Super Mario Brothers game. But the result is we got a title that had new playable characters, we had Princess Toadstool and Toad playable for the first time, we had new abilities, we had new settings, we had lots of new enemies. Yeah, I mean, you had doorways, you had things you could, <laughs> yes. you could, you had things you could pull out of the ground, you had subcon. Right, I mean, that was the big thing. Instead of jumping on enemies as the main play mechanic, it's about grabbing and throwing things. And, you know, even though I had read Nintendo Power and I knew that's what the game was about at the time, when I first played Super Mario Brothers 2 and I encountered that first enemy and I jumped on him and he didn't go splat, I'm like, <laughs> what the heck is going on? My yeah. little mind was blown. <laughs> and the fact that you could just, like, jump on an enemy and ride around on it. Right, exactly. I was like, what? Yeah, it was just crazy. You jump on him and, well, I'm just standing on his back and <laughs> he's taking me for a ride. Instead, you want me to pluck these turnips and throw them <laughs> at the enemies? What? Yeah. Or you pluck the enemy itself and use that as a weapon. That's true. Which, of course, is a fun and cool gameplay mechanic, but you know it's nothing like the original. So, you know, taking the mindset of someone who you know hadn't really played that many games back in 1988, it was you know such a major departure from the original. It was crazy. Yeah, I know this game came out in '88, and they all did, but but this one in particular just feels like it was like the first case of like, what? How could you do this to my series? <laughs> well, with good reason, you know. I mean, Super Mario Bros. was the game that came with the system and sort of defined what 8-bit gaming was all about, so you'd expect more of the same with the sequel, but no, it was anything but. And then we have Castlevania 2, which went from a traditional level-based action game to this non-linear type of title. It was very exploration and puzzle-driven, and while there was still plenty of action, that was much less of the emphasis. You weren't proceeding from level to level, you were exploring the countryside, you were going to different castles, you were exploring these castles in all kinds of strange ways and discovering hidden passages, you now needed to buy stuff and upgrade equipment and find items that would help you proceed on your way, and whereas the first Castlevania was pretty freaking difficult, this game gave you infinite continues, so you <laughs> pretty much could start right where your game ended if you died. Yeah, which was good because you did die a lot. <laughs> yes, and for a game of that nature, if you were pushed back really, really far, you'd probably just be so aggravated you'd never want to play again. So maybe they could have found a nice middle ground, but uh, I suppose I'd rather have it be this way than be too hard. And it also featured a uh, day-night cycle, right? Yes, yes, that was another big change. That's the first time I carry one of those in a video game. With the infamous line, what a horrible night to have a curse. <laughs> yes, who could forget that? <laughs> I think you say that every night you go to bed. Pretty much. <laughs> or at least the nights I talk with you. <laughs> wow. Uh, and then we have Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link, which, as anyone who played the original Zelda knows, was also a huge departure. It was now side-scrolling. There were no real items to use and collect. It emphasized magic instead. There were towns to visit, lots of towns to visit. And you now earned experience by slaying monsters, and you leveled up in three different categories. You had individual lives. And there was also just a much bigger emphasis on swordplay over the puzzles. So, again, they just went in a very different direction. You know, rumor has it that this was originally going to be called something like Zelda Gaiden as a side story rather than Zelda 2, but they end up calling it Zelda 2, and uh, thus a completely different kind of full-fledged entry in the series was born. Yeah, I mean, this one even featured sort of random encounters, like RPGs. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, there's just a ton of different gameplay mechanics in the game. You know, there's a level up system, like you said. It's just, it's such a departure. It's so weird. Yeah. So, you know, out of all these changes, all these things that were altered and added to these series, you know, what are the things that really stand out to you? Again, let's uh, start with Super Mario Brothers 2. What were the things that you really liked or disliked being added to the mix, so to speak? Well, I mean, definitely at this point in the Mario uh, universe, you'd only ever had Bowser as a boss. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was pretty cool to get sort of a, uh, a varied boss in each level. There was a couple different ways to beat each one as well. That's true. There were many bosses in addition to uh, you know, the main bosses on each world. Yeah, and they all kind of required a different strategy to take them out. Mm-hmm. Although I guess uh, pretty much every level you know, that wasn't the end of the world, it was Birdo, wasn't it? <laughs> I think it was. Yeah, I think you're right. But but there definitely beat was... that poor guy up plenty of times. There definitely was a couple, you know, there was like the mouse with sunglasses. Uh, was his yes. name like Mauser or something? Yep. Mouser, he was the boss of World 1, I think World 3. And then there was like that Hydra thing. It was like a snake. Yeah, Triclide. He was the boss of World 2 and I want to say World 6. That's right. And then, uh, of course, Birdo, as you mentioned. Uh-huh. And then uh, Wart. Yes, indeed. So that was a big departure. Then, obviously, there was some levels where you actually just dug straight down, trying to avoid, like, a yin-yang symbol. <laughs> well, I assume you are referring to Fanto, the <laughs> enemy that would chase you when you picked up the key. Yes, I am. But but still, kind of funny. Just such a weird departure for the original series. But, yes, you could use your uh, grabbing and throwing mechanics to dig. And, yeah, there are a couple desert levels where you just dig, 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 and dig some more. through like, you know, five or six screens of uh, vertically scrolling action. Yeah, it was, like, weirdly satisfying. But, uh, again, totally different from the original. For me, what I really liked was just, you know, those core grabbing and throwing mechanics were just really, really satisfying. Yeah. Uh, and also the different abilities with the characters were really, really fun. I loved the fact that with Toad, you could dig and grab and throw really fast. With Luigi, he would jump really high. And the princess, of course, could float, which would make a lot of things very convenient, especially when you're trying to find secrets and stuff like that. So uh, those are the things that you know really stuck with me. I mean, I guess the enemies that you were mentioning were also really fun. Oh, and another thing that I really liked was that ending. That ending with like that full screen, or at least it seemed like it was full screen, Mario in the bed, you know, just kind of snoozing away. That is one of the all-time classics. It's true. It's uh, it's still probably uh, one of the best endings of the Mario universe. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd say best of all time, but certainly one of the best on the NES. No question of that. I'm going to go all-time. Not the best, but one of. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Now, how about uh, Castlevania Two? I mean, for me, I really liked just that sense of freedom and how much you were able to explore. And I loved getting that arsenal of items and weapons and that it's not just, you know, one special weapon at a time. You could now have holy water and fire bombs and three kinds of daggers and laurels and, you know, this five level upgradable whip and all that stuff, you know, was really, really fun to me. Yeah, totally. And you get that sense of like, you know, collecting new power ups and then just like getting stronger, almost like a, you know, a level up progression. Yeah, totally. I mean, in fact, you did earn experience when you collected hearts. And when you pause the game, you could see yourself leveling up and you would gain health. I mean, it wasn't a very pronounced system, so it was almost easy to overlook it if you weren't paying attention. But uh, if you did, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I just 
killed 300 enemies and got 300 hearts and now i have four more hit points on my health bar so yeah i mean it really did have that sort of thing in there which was just such a departure from the original yeah that's for sure now on the other hand the game also sort of lost some of the uh, really cool uh, you know hollywood horror flair that the original game had i mean that's kind of what I think made the first Castlevania a big hit is that it was basically, you know, all of your favorite horror movie monsters combined into one game. It's like, oh, you got Frankenstein's monster and the mummy and Dracula and Medusa and the werewolf. And they're all here all at once. (laughs) And, uh, you know, because there weren't really any bosses in Castlevania 2, this really didn't have that same sort of uh, Hollywood horror atmosphere going for it. But uh, yeah, it was still a lot of fun nonetheless. Yeah, it's a very good point. I definitely remember that standing out in the original and yeah, totally missing in the second one. Not totally missing. I mean, a lot of that stuff was still there. Just it wasn't nearly as pronounced as it was the first time. Although I do remember people hanging in that game and I was like, wow, that's... (laughs) Oh, the skeletons. Yeah. Pretty shocking for a nine-year-old. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah that's right the uh the skeletons were just hanging there in the mansions as you were exploring that uh yeah i mean it wasn't exactly graphic but i can see why you would say that it definitely does stand out now that you mention it um, another thing that stands out but not necessarily in a great way was that some of the puzzles in that game were just stupid hard <laughs> and the fact that they had townsfolk that would lie to you with fake hints has got to be one of the worst ideas ever <laughs> Well, they're they're demons, clearly, and they don't want you to know what you're doing. They're just people in the town, just supposed to be uh, regular townsfolk hanging out in Transylvania, and they're just going to be like, nope, we're just going to totally lie about stuff. And I don't recall any other game where that has been a prevailing factor, and I think that is definitely for the best, because fake hints to just drive you mad like that is a terrible idea. I am glad that has not persisted. Being your nemesis, I kind of wish that it had continued a little bit. (laughs) You love the Ace Attorney series, and that's all they do is lie to you. (laughs) Yes, and uh, lying was implemented much better in that game than it was in Castlevania 2. Yeah, that's uh, true. So I'll thank my uh, stars for that. (laughs) Uh, Now, how about Zelda 2? Again, what stood out in that game, both good and bad? Well, when I first turned Link into a fairy, I couldn't believe it. (laughs) Yeah, that was kind of unexpected. Yeah, it's weird. Link has this ability to transform into a fairy and can fly. Yep, that's one of his spells. And for some reason, you can fly through uh, keyholes with the uh, with the fairy. <laughs> yes, yeah, I like. Don't recall seeing that tip in Nintendo Power, the player's guides, or anything. But that was actually a really useful thing if you got stuck somewhere and uh, couldn't uh, couldn't get through a door because of lack of keys. That was very handy to have. Definitely couldn't do that in the first one. <laughs> no, indeed not. But you know, speaking more generally, I mean, for me, the biggest thing in Zelda 2 was just the graphics. I thought the graphics were so much better. You know, turning it to side view, I thought gave it so much more opportunity for detail. You could really see what Link was doing with swinging his sword and positioning his shield, and that stuff was really, really important for some of the sword play, especially when you were fighting those tough enemies like the Iron Knuckles, who were just as skilled as you with a sword, and it really made you have to pay attention, you know, watch what they were doing, really, really look at where they were positioning their arms, if they were going to stab high, if they were going to stab low, and that wouldn't have been possible without those more detailed graphics. That's true, but I also think that Zelda 2 really made it kind of look more basic. And I only mean that what? as like You're crazy. It, it made it look like every other game out there. Whereas like the original Zelda just had this particular look and style to it that I feel like it lost in the second one. 
I will say you are completely off your rocker. <laughs> I mean, that's just how I feel. Well, it's okay to be wrong. <laughs> I am error. I mean, you know, there's like no shading in the original Legend of Zelda. Everything is very flat. The overhead view gives a lot of limitations. I mean, look at the Octoroks, for example. You can barely even tell it's supposed to be an octopus when you look at it in the Zelda 1 graphics. And then you look at it in Zelda 2 and it's side view and you can really see the the mouth and the tentacles and how it's jumping up and shooting those rocks and it almost looks like the concept art they created for the game. So, yeah, for me, there's just not even any contest. They did things in Zelda 2 that Zelda 1 wasn't even considering doing. Yeah, I just think that the original had this charm to it where it had a style and then in the sequel, it felt like it lost some of its charm. I think it lost some of its ugliness. I also think that the overworld map did it no favors as far as making it look good. Well, in that case, you are definitely correct. They, they obviously made things very simple for the overworld map, but I think they made up for it completely with the side view stuff. You know, going from these, uh, you know, short, squat, kind of unidentifiable characters to these uh, much larger and more detailed sprites and backgrounds for that matter. So, uh, yes, there was certainly a trade-off going from the side view stuff to the overworld. I can't disagree with you there. Mm-hmm. You know, as I was alluding to, obviously it was much, much more action-focused than its predecessor. That completely stood out. And I guess the fact that it's really, really super difficult stands out as well. I mean, for me, I played it so early in my NES game-playing experience that I didn't realize it was that super hard. I thought every game was that difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, I know a lot of people are just like, oh, this game is insanely difficult, and they're pulling their hair out from playing it. So uh, it definitely sticks out. Uh, whether it was, uh, you know, that true for me or not. Yeah, definitely one of the harder games back then. Well, I feel like, you know, playing a game that was that hard is one of my uh, early experiences must have uh, toughed me up for my uh, future with titles like Mega Man and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> so the next topic is what are the elements that have really, you know, withstood the test of time? What are things that have persisted from these games that even though they were so different from their predecessors and follow-ups actually have continued to exist in the sequels in one way or another? In Super Mario Bros. 2, obviously they introduced the Shy Guy into the series. <laughs> yes, yes they did. Yeah, that might be one of the more important elements that have persisted is uh, that several of these enemies have stayed on in the series. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Shy Guys, Birdos. Mm -hmm. What else? What am I missing? Well, bob -omb. There was actually the bob -omb in Super Mario Brothers 3. That was like the only thing that carried over from Mario 2 into Mario 3. That's right. I also think that uh, Sniffets maybe have turned up somewhere or other, but uh, certainly not as prominently as the Shy Guys or Birdo. <laughs> and then, of course, Toad becoming a main character. You know, before that, he was just kind of chump change. <laughs> and Peach as well. Yes, or Princess Toadstool. Nah. And their abilities were more or less determined by that game, and they have persisted even until now. I mean, look at this uh, you know, new Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe, where they have the fake Princess Toadstool, and she still has some manner of hovering ability that was established all these years ago by Super Mario Brothers 2. And uh, I kind of like that. It's true. Even uh, her debut game, the uh, Super Princess Peach. Yep, still uh, hanging in there, you could say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and of course, Smash Brothers. Right. I do wonder, though, why Birdo has gotten so much attention and Wart has been completely left by the wayside. I mean, nothing against Birdo, but <laughs> I just really don't think that's fair. <laughs> Again, I think Wart's a little basic for a bad guy. 
what and Birdo's not I don't know maybe it's because Birdo appeared in like you know half the levels of the game whereas Wart only appeared in one but uh, I mean you have to agree with me right Wart definitely deserves to get some sort of comeback yeah I feel like he needs his own little eShop game well I'd like to see something better than that but certainly that would be better than nothing <laughs> well of course Super Mario Brothers 2 introduces the idea of, of scrolling backwards in levels as well <laughs> yeah I guess that's true you couldn't do that in the first one and then that, that became a mainstay of the series but I feel like that would have happened either way yeah I feel like that was just more uh, something that happened with the you know improvements in technology more than anything else but it's true it, that was the first game to do it moving along to Castlevania 2 you know, I guess you know, it's weird because that formula was kind of abandoned after Simon's Quest. It wasn't anything that we saw in Castlevania 3 or Castlevania 4, but then it really made a comeback in the 2000s with the Castlevania series' emphasis on nonlinear exploration. You know, all of those Game Boy Advance games and DS games and, of course, Symphony of the Night, you know, they probably don't really owe their origins to Simon's Quest, but it really feels like they do. Yeah, I mean, you got to say that Simon's Quest is probably the most similar to the new versions of Castlevania than, right, than exactly. the other old school Castlevania game. Yeah, completely, completely. I mean, getting all the items, the leveling up, all that stuff, that was where it all first appeared. And again, I don't really think that the creators of those games looked at Simon's Quest and said, oh, we need to have more stuff like this, <laughs> as much as it was them looking at Zelda and Metroid and saying, right. oh, we have to make the game more like this. But... It's totally true. Simon's Quest was where it all began for Castlevania. And you have to give it some manner of credit for that. You have to think at least they looked at it and said, yes, we tried it here. This was not a bad idea. Let's do more of this or something like that. Yeah, I like me my RPG elements in Castlevania. Yeah, so do I. Uh, also, the music, Bloody Tears, which is the daytime theme music, has really endured. Everybody loves that theme song. We know it's going to be in Smash Brothers. It's going to be a great version of that tune, and this is where it starts. So that is another thing to uh, give Simon's Quest props for. Maybe it's not such a bad night to have a curse. <laughs> well, the nighttime music wasn't bad either, but Bloody Tears is actually the daytime theme. So maybe that's why it is a bad night to have a curse. I feel like that's your uh, wrestling move, Bloody Tears. Sure, if you say so. <laughs> now, what about Zelda 2? Well, you got the downward thrust. You do, you do. I kind of forgot about the downward thrust. And yes, that has actually persisted. I kind of forgot about that. Because my initial thought is, you know, almost nothing persisted. You know, after that, they went back to the top view. They went back to the items. They got rid of the leveling <laughs> up for the emphasis on magic. And it seems like most of it has been forgotten. I mean... You know, there was a hammer for the first time in this game, and it was the first time that Shadow Link was a bad guy. But again, those are kind of obvious things that probably would have turned up later regardless. Yeah, you're right. I guess the ability to use magic, that was new. Right. And uh, yeah, that did turn up in other games, and it did start here. But you know, even more than that, though, the one thing that has stuck around, and I thought this was you know a really genius move on Ocarina of Time's part, but... The fact that they had the town names from Zelda 2 be used as the sage names in Ocarina of Time. Uh-huh. And, you know, basically they retconned Zelda 2 to be like, oh, yeah, all these towns, they were named after these great sages. And it really added the sense of continuity that I thought was completely brilliant. I loved it. I don't know if I ever knew that. Yeah, pretty much uh, all of uh, the towns in Zelda 2 have the same names as the sages. And since, you know, Zelda 2 takes place chronologically after Ocarina of Time, that's the only logical assumption to make. Well, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, it really is. Oh, and along those same lines I was saying with Bloody Tears, it seems that the uh, Palace theme song from Zelda 2 has really endured. I think it's found new appreciation in recent years, both in Smash Brothers and also in A Link Between Worlds. That theme song is pretty great, and uh, I'm glad to see it getting remixed in these more recent titles. Yeah, and it's cool to hear it orchestrated, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely, for sure. Gives it some serious grandeur. So, out of all of these games, would you say they were good experiments or bad experiments? (laughs) I mean, honestly, you kind of have to think that they were good experiments because they added something new to the series. Yeah, I think I have to agree. I mean, all three of them are definitely among my favorites. They're all, you know, different. They're all a little peculiar compared to their predecessors. But in a lot of ways, at least for me personally, I think I might like all of them better than their predecessors. I mean, that's really hard to say with Super Mario Brothers, because the original Super Mario was sort of, you know, the definitive 8-bit platformer. But I think I actually like Zelda 2 and Castlevania 2 more than the originals, for sure. Yeah, and it's kind of weird, because I think if you would have asked, you know, 10-year-old Pete, I probably would have said no. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, in hindsight, looking back and kind of thinking about what these games have meant in the entire series, Mm -hmm. I do think they've added something to the series that would otherwise be missing. I mean... There's characters in Mario that you'll never, you never would have seen. There is, you know, that formula for Castlevania that you probably would have seen eventually, but maybe not to the same level. Right. And then, of course, in Zelda, same thing. It's like there's definitely some continuity missing from the series that it's nice to see they added into, uh, you know, later installments. Yeah, for sure. And, of course, having that music that originally started there is another thing that we'd uh, really be missing out on if they hadn't been created for those games. Now, which one would you say is the best or the most successful? Because <laughs> for me, I'm having a tough time pinning it down because I kind of like all of them. And let's not forget, even though Zelda 2 kind of gets a bad rap these days, it was crazy popular back when it came out. And in Nintendo Power, it was voted the most popular game of uh, 1988. You know, I think for me, I'm going to have to say that the best was probably Super Mario 2. And any reason for that? I just think that it really did allow the Mario universe to kind of become more alive. The style of the game looked a little bit more like cartoony. Mario started to kind of take shape. Mario and Luigi kind of had their differences now and just kind of added, you know, something overall to the series that I feel like has never truly gone away since then. You know, those are all very good points. And as much as I hate to agree with you, I am probably going to say the same thing. Hmm. I mean... I like all these games, but when I look at Super Mario Bros. 2, it really doesn't have any fault that I can point out. I mean, I look at Zelda 2, and as much as I like it, it kind of feels like a failed experiment to me, since almost nothing carried over from a <laughs> gameplay perspective. Almost everything was abandoned. Sure. And Castlevania is kind of the same way, in that those ideas were initially abandoned and didn't really return for another 10 years, and in a very different way. So, I think I'm going to have to agree with you also, and... You know, though I love them all, I think I would pick uh, Super Mario Bros. 2 as probably the, the best and most successful of these unusual formula-breaking sequels. Wow. Can't believe we agreed on something. I know. Very strange. Very strange. I'll drink some milk to that. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, all these games are great. They're all available on Virtual Console and NES Classic, and I certainly would recommend to anybody to celebrate their 30th anniversary by firing those systems up playing the games, checking them out, and re-experiencing these 30-year-old classics. Yeah, and hopefully sooner than later, they'll end up on the NES games you can play on your Switch. 
indeed. I will cross my fingers for that. All right, this takes care of this week's big topic, so I believe it's time to wrap up this episode of the podcast. Mm, Not quite. Okay, all right, not yet. We do have time for one more thing, and that, of course, is a dramatic reading. Ah, that's right. What do we got this week? This week's, from the pages of Nintendo Power Volume 6, is a preview of the NES game Amagon. Amagon has been chosen to go on a dangerous mission because of his unique ability to transform into his alter ego, the giant Megagon. (laughs) With the machine gun as his only weapon, Amagon's adventure begins on an uncharted, monster-infested island. He must conquer it and reach the rescue ship which awaits on the other side. The screen scrolls right, and timing is essential, (laughs) as is knowing when to become Megagon. Gameplay is similar to Hudson's Adventure Island, but be wary, there are hippo demons here. So why is Amagon going on this mission? Because it's there. Because he's a marine. Because he was ordered to. Wow. They don't write them like that anymore. (laughs) No, no they don't. Uh, Once again, not exactly the most enticing preview of a game I have ever read. The screen scrolls right. (laughs) The screen scrolls right, and there are hippo demons. And also, he's in real deep trouble because his only weapon is a machine gun, by the way. (laughs) It sounds like a cakewalk. Yeah. Now, this was a classic game made by Sammy. Yes, it was published by American Sammy, as I recall. Sammy, I remember even as like a child realizing that that name was ridiculous. (laughs) I certainly can't disagree with that. (laughs) Uh, Did you ever play this one? You know, I feel like I definitely did. I just don't remember playing it very much. I did not, so I cannot say whether uh, it plays like Adventure Island or not. So, <laughs> Well, maybe it'll come to the uh, playable NES games on your Switch. <laughs> I am certainly not going to bet on that one, <laughs> but you never know. You never know. Anyway, that's it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com, and you can follow us at PowerProsPod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at ChrisTheHoff, and you can find Pete at BurlyRedYeti. You can email us at PowerProsPod at gmail.com, and if you like the podcast, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Mashad. I play just like Hudson's Adventure Island. And Final Fight's Damned, a.k.a. Thrasher. We will see you next time.